The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line. You're on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're all doing well on this sunny, beautiful Wednesday afternoon yet again. It is perfect weather outside. Uh, I hate to say that with uh, with Hurricane uh, Ian. Is it Ian or yeah, Ian? Ian? Ian, okay. Uh, some people pronounce it Ian. I don't know. But it's a Hurricane Ian, uh, as we've got it on here in the in the studio, think, it is making the, landfall. Uh, the uh, only person I've ever seen pronounce it truly Ian is what, Ian Eagle, the, yeah. the play-by-play guy? Play-by-play basketball announcer, yeah. And he's he's great, by the way. Um, his son's good, too. His yeah. son's young, mm-hmm. but his, his son is good as well. Yeah. yeah, they do really well. But as Hurricane Ian is making landfall... Um, Auburn shouldn't be worried. I mean, we got some rain on the forecast possibly this weekend, maybe Friday night into Saturday possibly. Uh, We'll see how that goes. But right now, it's gorgeous outside. Not a cloud in the sky. Uh, Sun is shining. The temperature is awesome. I mean, it's just perfect weather here in Auburn, Opelika right now. But happy Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, We've got a lot to go over on the show today. If you missed it, the Max Roundtable was just live from University Ace Hardware. Uh, They were up there from 11 to two they had some lunch and they did a great job uh so uh props to them for doing that and uh, i know they enjoy going on location like that and they do it all the time so they were at university ace they just wrapped up over there but jacob goins carter bird with you for the next two hours here on espn 106.7 we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts about everything going on as auburn gets ready to play lsu this weekend as the noise around brian harson and his future uh continues to grow louder and names for his job continue to grow and there's a lot of steam and momentum around a couple of names in the college football world and really where I want to start today's show is the question that everybody is asking and the question that everybody has on their minds but and maybe even has the answer to but we don't know until it happens. Is Brian Harson done at Auburn? I know he's still the coach here right now, and he's still got a game to coach on Saturday, and obviously they're not going to get rid of him before that. But in the long run and the end, is Brian Harson done at Auburn? I mean, I don't see – I again, and I said this last week going into last game, and I feel more confident about it now. I don't see a path. I don't see a path to him surviving the bye week. Because I don't, I don't see Saturday going well. Because I don't know where, where are you going to score points? And that was my message yesterday. We were talking about the defense. The defense can play a great game, but what they're they're going to have to pitch a shutout almost in order for all you're going to need the, game. the defense to score points. Yeah, I, literally agreed, agreed. But and outside of a tipped interception and a, and a true giveaway, we haven't seen the defense show signs that they're going to produce a lot of points. 
in a game, you would have to have it. You would have to have, I mean, if if the, what, 94 interception game broke out, I mm-hmm. mean, that'd be that'd be fun. I'd be about it, but... But I just I don't know where you're scoring points Saturday, so I don't see that going well. And then the th- the thing that Auburn fans what doesn't sit well with them is if you lose and you lose convincingly Saturday, and then you get embarrassed in Athens. Auburn fans don't they don't care as much about getting beat badly by Penn State. But it carries a heck of a lot more weight if you get blown out and embarrassed by your one of your two biggest rivals. And if that happens and you lose LSU, I mean, it's signed, sealed, delivered, done. Well, I don't care what happens this Saturday against LSU. Auburn could win by 30 on Saturday against LSU, and they are still going to turn around and lose by 30 on Saturday, the next Saturday to Georgia. I mean, that that this Saturday has nothing to do with next Saturday. That, you can go ahead and write that as a, a two or three touchdown loss for Auburn on the road at Georgia. And that's just that's just being truthful, y'all. That's just being straight up and telling you like it is. Wait, but how, how many touchdowns? Two, two or three. three. I think four at or least. five or six. At least. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. At least. <laughs> and so, but my point in, in this conversation of, uh, in this question of, is Brian Harson done at Auburn? If you were to poll the fan base right now, I think it would be probably 80 to 85% that would say, yeah, his time is done. It's just now it's a fact of when is it going to happen? Because look, this has been an experiment that was shaky from the start, right? We saw Brian, we saw Auburn go outside of Auburn to find a guy that didn't have Auburn ties, that didn't have SEC ties. They tried to go get a guy that didn't have any relations and bring in a new face, and it didn't work. He came in and he didn't know what he was doing at Auburn. He is not saying he's not a good coach, not saying that he's not a good recruiter, but here at Auburn in the SEC. Brian Harson didn't know what he was getting into. He started out slow. And then yeah. Auburn piled on and they tried to get rid of him and it didn't work. And then after that, it was over. Then you lose five straight or you lose five straight, then they try to get rid of him. Obviously the timeline here, but all of that and here's where we are now. You're four games in. It's been ugly. It, the fan base is is just up in array. I mean, they are just over it, right? I, I don't know what the feel is inside the locker room. Obviously, we are not there, but from the outside looking in, it's not a good vibe. And I no, think a not. lot of people at this point, they're asking, well, if it is inevitable like we think it is that Brian Harson will not be the coach at Auburn next year, why not do it now? Why wait for you to go and get smacked against Georgia and do it in the bye week? Or why wait until the end of the season? Why would you not do it right now? Because if you're going to end up doing it anyway, why not go ahead and do it? Buying time to get an athletic athletic director in place to make the hire? That's that's what I would say. And, I mean, you, you're starting to hear that that's starting to take shape. I think... That hires every bit as important as what we're going to see take place with football, with with who who the head coach is going to be. Well, it directly impacts it. Yeah, I just think that that you have to get your athletic director in place before you make a move on on who the next 
the next uh, uh, head coach is. Rich, Rich McGlynn, the interim AD, he can make the fire. That's fine. I, I don't think that's an issue. But you would like to be pretty far along in the athletic director search when that news drops. You would like to be very close to naming an athletic director so that person can then take the reins and kind of drive the search for head coach. And I think that we we are getting to a point where that's happening. I don't know when when the athletic director is going to be named. I think I've got a pretty good idea of who I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Hartwell at, at, at Utah State. I think the, the Auburn connections are there. The familiarity with the area is there. He was the athletic director at Troy before Utah State. I think he's probably going to be your athletic director. It's just a matter of when that one gets starts, when it becomes crystal clear that that one's about to be filled, I think that's when you're going to see the move on Harson take place. And I think whenever you do end up, because look, I, I think Harson's done. I do. I think Harson is, he his time here has been shaky. It's been up, it's just been, it's been a, a, just a crazy time for him to be here. And look, when he was hired, I really, really liked the hire. And that's that's what I want to get out first in this in this little segment is when Brian Harson was hired at Auburn to be the next head football coach, I really, really liked the hire. I think he was a great coach. I think he's a good recruiter. I think he's got the right mindset. And that's the thing that I talked about all summer long was I think Brian Harson has the right mentality to be a successful head football coach in the SEC. The problem is, when he got hired and when he got brought here, he had no idea what he was getting into. He wasn't prepared. And I, and nobody told him. Nobody helped him out. And he came in, and he didn't do the right things. And he mm-hmm. put himself behind at the very start. Then the end of the season last year happened with some injuries. You lose five straight games. Then Auburn tries to pile on him, and that didn't work. And from that point on, it's been over. And so I liked the hire initially, but at this point, from what we've seen in the year and a half that Brian Hartson has been here, and what we've seen through four games to start this season, it's just not working. And the time has come. And it's just, this was a failed experiment that Auburn tried, and I liked where they were going. It just didn't work out. And sometimes it, that's just how it goes, right? Sometimes you go and you try to find somebody that's outside and that you think is going to work, and it just doesn't. That's just life in general. And so now, at this point, with what we've seen on and off the field around Harson, around Auburn, around this program, it's over. And I think Harson is done at Auburn. It's just a matter of when this is going to take place. But when you do fire him, because I think it's going to happen eventually, you have got, like you talked about, you've got to get a coach in here by... SEC championship by bowl season because then you've got to worry about early signing day in December when 75-80% of these kids decide to commit and sign to your school and if you don't have a coach Mm -hmm. ready to go you're going to get screwed in this next recruiting cycle and so why not bring or why not move on if you if it goes any later you're just going to have to leverage the portal like crazy to to be a a stopgap 
to get you to your first full cycle. And the portal's good, but it's not a saving grace for a football team. You cannot go and get half your guys out of the transfer portal and expect to be competing in the SEC. That's just not how it works. You've got to go mm-hmm. get dudes coming out of high school. But something that uh, they were talking about on the Max Roundtable before us and something that Zach Blackerby has talked about is get a guy or get rid of Harson eventually because if you're going to do it, you may as well do it in my opinion. But then if you're looking at that point, promote somebody that's at Auburn right now that can promote Auburn and go out after these guys and say, believe in Auburn, play for Auburn, come play for Auburn, and we're going to get the right guy in here. I think that's what needs to happen. I think it's going to happen by the bye week. Um, We'll get in later of the week where Auburn and and how this is going to go this weekend against LSU. And I think after you get handled against Georgia, I think that's when they're going to make the move. I think if you get embarrassed this weekend, it's it could happen immediately if you get another Penn State game this weekend yeah I think they will fire him but if, if you compete or somehow even win this weekend I think they'll probably wait and just do it during the bye week to where they have time to to deal with it and not worry about a game that week also I think that's probably what they're waiting on at this point I'm just kind of running through this this weekend's matchup in my head about where all does Auburn have positive matchups and about the only one I can come up with concretely is that the Auburn D-line should have the advantage against LSU's offensive line? It should. And that's about it. Again, LSU I has think... a better quarterback. they got better receivers. Mm-hmm. Auburn has better running backs. But, but LSU can stop the run. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they've got better athletes on defense than, than Auburn has seen to this point in the year. I'm, I have legitimate concerns about this game. They're, they're very young. They're very young, but I think that that LSU team is rounding into form quickly. And I have confidence that on Saturday, Auburn's defense can keep them in the ballgame. But the, again, the big question is, where in the world does Auburn get points from? And I just don't know how you're going to be able to score because LSU can score. Not not like they're a huge, fantastic yeah. offense, but they are going to put some points on the board. And Auburn's got to be able to respond or even try to get ahead and not blow it. And, and, and I don't know where you get the points from. And as you saw on Saturday, and look, I am a very, very big Anders Carlson fan, but to this point in the year, he does not look like the guy that we saw, what, his sophomore year mm-hmm. where he had the best year he had on the points. Is McPherson behind him? I know he's behind him. Is he redshirting, or is he like available? I would assume. I mean, I would I would assume he's redshirting, because you also have McGuire back there, I guess, who can handle duties if... if um, Anders can't go for whatever reason because he is coming off an ACL tear, which which we need to keep that in mind. Right. Oh, it's, 100%. It, and it's on his plant leg. I mean, I would argue that, that an ACL tear on the plant leg might be more significant than an, AC, than an ACL tear on the kicking leg just because that's all your stability is mm-hmm. in that plant leg. Yeah. Um, I, I think Anders is a good kicker, but he has not looked – phenomenal out the gate and I, and I wonder if he's 100% I do yeah I, and so I mean, if, if he's not 100% and the and the kicking game is shaky legitimately where are points coming from I mean it was shaky on Saturday against Missouri yeah I, I mean, mean he, I mean I know only he he what he only had two attempts officially but he missed three or four attempts mm-hmm. because he got bailed out by two offsides penalties by Missouri which by the way, you want to talk about another laugh-out-loud, funny, poor-coaching Missouri moment? Two offsides penalties on a field goal block is bad. Yeah. 
It's really bad. It's bad. But you're right. The kicking game for Auburn is over the years with the Carlson brothers and, and even before that, the kicking game has been something Auburn has been able to rely on. And we're not saying that Anders is not a good kicker, but you're right. Coming off the ACL tear, he has not looked the same. And Auburn hasn't had a bad field goal kicker, in my estimation, since the early John Vaughn years. It's been a long time. And then even by the end, by the end of his tenure at Auburn, he was very good. Yeah. But, I mean, Auburn's had a very, very good, highly rated, talented kicker at some time, at some points, the best kicker in the conference, at some points, the best kicker in the country when Daniel was was at Auburn. Oh, for sure. But what I'm saying is if you get into this game on Saturday and and Anders is struggling again and you can tell that he's not 100% coming off this injury, you may want to go to the young guy, McPherson, because I've seen him kick in videos and in practice when he was in high school and once he's gotten to Auburn, I mean, the dude's got a leg. And it, it, yeah, with kickers, does. it's all about confidence. It's all in their, like, they can all kick, but it's in their head. Maybe I just haven't haven't uh, paid attention to it, but I would love to see what he and Anders look like next to each other on the sideline. Oh, I've seen Anders, him in practice. Anders is 6'5", and Evan is 5'10". Yeah, well, I've seen him in practice. It, it is a massive difference. I mean, Anders is an entire head taller than, than McPherson, but McPherson can kick really well. I've seen him play. And if Anders continues to struggle, and again, we don't think it's him. We, I mean, it's just coming off of an ACL injury with a kicker is not ideal. Then maybe you decide to go to the backup to try to get some points because in a game against LSU, it may come down to a couple of field goals and it may come down to an extra point if you do happen to get into the end zone. And you want to make sure if you're Auburn, when you have the opportunity to get those points with the kicker, you've got to be able to get them because on Saturday against LSU, it may come down to a field goal. Let's take a break. We'll come back and uh, continue talking Auburn and LSU. Auburn, Brian Harson, everything going on around this football program right now. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. More of On the Line when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Doug, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, great to be with you guys. I'm just passing through, not an Auburn Opelika resident, but an Auburn fan. Okay. And uh, I I just want to make a couple of points about Coach Harson. First of all, how do you feel sorry for a guy that's going to make $15 million when he gets fired? But at the same time, I do feel sorry for him because uh, the unwarranted and unfounded things that came up in January, uh, that that's terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. um, you're not going to feel bad for a guy that's getting paid $15 million, uh, to get fired, but um, if there's any part of me that does feel a little bad, it's just how this entire process went, just because I do think Brian Hartz, again, I think he has the right mentality to be a good coach. I just don't think he knew what he was getting into, and it, it's just been a crazy time since he's been at Auburn. The year and a half he's been here, I mean, there's always some type of storyline going on here, you know? Oh, yeah, there is. Uh, one thing I, I I don't like to you know talk about jobs that aren't open yet, but apparently this is what's going to happen. And I want to float a name by you that I think should get some consideration. 
Okay. Uh, for the head coaching job. And I, I want to reflect back to uh, 70 years ago when Coach Jordan was hired at Auburn. You guys are young. I'm old. Uh, when he was hired at Auburn, he was an assistant coach at Georgia. Okay. And then uh, about, oh, 10, 11 years later, 12 years later, an assistant coach at Auburn got to be a head coach at Georgia, Vince Dooley. Mm-hmm. And one name that I would like for Auburn to consider, and I hope they're talking to him right now, is Dale McGee at Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly – I wouldn't hate having somebody who knows the ins and outs of Auburn, somebody who's had, has played at Auburn, because it certainly feels like when you look around the country, there is a lot of good coaches around the country that all played at Auburn. I would I would welcome Dale McGee. I would. I think if he filled out a very strong staff, I think he could be successful at Auburn. We know the type of recruiter he is. I mean, he's been what the the ace on that staff for for Kirby Smart on the, on the re- recruiting trail for for years now. So I'd be. I mean, it'd be good not only to to bring him back to Auburn, but to take him away from Georgia. So I mean. I, I don't hate the idea. I mean, I, I know another name that's been thrown out there in a similar way is Charles Kelly, who's, I believe he's coaching, he's either coaching linebackers or he's coaching safeties at Alabama. Uh, but another Auburn guy who's an assistant on one of these other staffs. I think that, that would be an interesting one, too, if you're going with down that avenue. Yeah, I think so, too. Charles Kelly would be, would be a good hire, I think, as well. Uh, not necessarily... He ha- do they have to be a head coach to do well in the SEC? Right. I think I, just I, having I think just having Auburn ties is something that's important. And one thing that we've seen when Auburn went outside of Auburn for this hire of Brian Harson and it didn't go well, um, I don't think you're going to see Auburn do that again uh, for a long time. Yeah. yeah, I don't either. I think that uh, they they need to stick with. Uh, you know, someone that has some SEC ties, and I'm not just so gun ho about the Auburn ties, but I am gun ho about Dale McGee. I tell you what, he's a coach. Oh, he's a Fair. great coach. Well, Doug, hey, we got another call. We got to get right. to them. We appreciate you calling in. Thank you so much. That was Doug here on On the Line. Let's head back to the phone lines, though. 334 321 1390. Shane, you're on the line. Welcome in, man. Hey, guys. How are y'all today? We're doing good, good night, man. Shane. What you got? Hey, I just, I got to say, I. Any other year, any other like you know, maybe ten years ago or something, you could you could hire uh, uh, an up and comer, but we can't afford that. Okay, we, we got to compete with the best in the country. Auburn's probably one of, if not the hardest job to take right now because of our comp- our, our our yearly competition is is yearly in the playoff, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and it considers you know some of the best in the country. We cannot afford to to have a if maybes you know uh yeah he some of these guys might be good coaches and they might turn out to be great head coaches one day but can we can we afford that risk right now uh in the state that we're in i mean we just can't you gotta you gotta go with somebody that's already established that that can take this program and turn it around because it's just not someone timid is going to come in here and and uh it's just gonna. It's not going to be good for a long while. We need something now and fast. 
to, I, to get this going. I see where you're coming from, Shane. It's easy to to go with that because, and you're not wrong because it would be really, really tough if Auburn hires an up and coming guy who is a coordinator somewhere or a, a position coach at another school, and they come in and this is their first head coaching job. That is a tough ask, and especially right now with what the SEC is and what Auburn's competition is. You're right. That's a very, very tough ask, and it's probably going to take a while for them to build up and be successful against Alabama and Georgia. Um, but Right, right. But, but does any any recruit out there know who these coaches are? I mean, Dell? Like, Dell, you, yes. You know who, you know who, who Lane Kiffin is. You, you just got to say the name, and you know who that is. You, Fair. I mean, I, I, I'd have to like look up some of these guys to figure out who, who is this person. How are they going to recruit these guys to come there if, like, if we don't even know who they are? So, you know, Dell... Or, or, Dell and Charles Kelly are two of the best re- recruiters in the country and have been for the last decade plus, and they are extremely well connected and well known around the Southeast with with these high schools and and with these high school coaches and with these high school players. I I look more than anything for me, I just want somebody who can turn over the roster and bring talent to the roster and somebody that understands how dire of a situation it is to build this team from the trenches out because Auburn's not there right now. But if you can't, I mean, like, I, I am with you, I, 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 for real. But at the same time, like, we just, I just don't know if we, if Auburn, literally, like, just this school can afford to take a risk like that on right. somebody that's, that, that, that's, that hasn't been there yet is my is my only thing. Right, We're right. In a spot right now that we need some stability and leadership and 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 and, and some toughness just to change, just to turn it around a little bit. Maybe the next coach can be an up and comer, but this one just I don't think that Auburn can afford. That's just my that's my yeah, opinion. Hey, I don't think we can afford that way. I agree, Shane. Hey, we appreciate the call. We got to get to a break. We're going to address some of these calls, and we'd love to hear from you again. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. We're addressing the phone calls when we come back. Jacob Goins on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Want to address a couple of our um, phone calls here before we get Jordan Hill on the line of Dogs 247. Um of course, we're going to talk to him in just a few minutes. But um, talking about what Shane was was discussing about hiring a guy right now that's a head coach that can come in and get guys right now, right, and, mm-hmm. and turn Auburn around as we speak and to to be successful right now. I get that, right? I, I get why that is his thought process, and I'm sure a lot of other people have that thought process as well. But at the same time, asking a guy, whoever it is, even at, let's say Shane used the name Lane Kiffin, which is a big name, it's a good coach, right? Let's use that as the example real quick. Even if you bring in Lane Kiffin, you're still asking him to compete with Alabama and Georgia and win immediately. That's a tough task. I don't care who it is. I I think all you have to do is make progress in year one. Make progress in year one into year two, and then you can start to turn over that. I mean, we've seen how quickly – 
Lane Kiffin took a really, really bad Ole Miss team to 10 wins and how quickly he took them to what? They're ranked 14th hosting Kentucky this week in a battle of unbeatens in what's in what could be the game that like springboards one of these two into not only a New Year's Six Bowl conversation, but potentially a dark horse for the college football playoff conversation. I mean, I, I, I firmly believe that you... It's, look, you're, you're, you're not going to compete for the SEC West in year one, whoever it is. Right. But there, with the way that college football is now, with the way that you see... Um, the way that you see the, the the turnover in transfer portal and recruiting with NIL, it's easier to to turn over the uh, roster and get to a competitive place now. We'll address this later on. I just wanted to get to that before we get to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, like we always do on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, happy Wednesday, man. How are you? Good to hear from you. Hey, guys. Doing great. Yeah, just uh, for Georgia, it's getting back into SEC play, so kind of shaking off that uh, kind of a weird Kent State game last week and going right back into SEC play. Right. Well, let's get into the Georgia and Kent State game. It was a game where a little bit closer than what everybody thought it was going to be, 39-22. Uh, Georgia, the number one team in the land, they beat Kent State. Uh, what did you see from Georgia in this win? They do get the victory, but again, a little bit closer than what people thought. What did you see on Saturday? Yeah, you know, it did surprise a bunch of people. Georgia was a 45-point favorite. Uh, didn't quite cover with the way they played. And at the end of the day, it just came down to turnovers. They have a muff punt. They have a fumble. Uh, Seth and Bennett has his first interception of the season. And it kind of got in the way of what overall was still a really good offensive performance. I think they had something like 530 yards of offense. And, and those turnovers, I think the lesson for this team is just how detrimental those turnovers can be. Because that game started three and out by Kent State, forced by the Georgia defense. Second play of the game, Brock Bowers takes it 75 yards. Third drive is another three and out, forced by the defense. And then you have a muff punt that sets up and basically hands Kent State three points uh, just with where it was on the field. So, you know, I think on the whole, uh, you know, it wasn't anywhere near a disaster. There was never a point in that game where you thought, oh, Georgia may lose this game. But it was a situation where – Kent State stayed within about two touchdowns for most of the action, which obviously none of us were really expecting. But uh, probably a welcome to wake up call when you really think about it, uh, especially with it being a non-conference game before Georgia goes back and uh, gets back in the SEC play this weekend against Missouri. So yeah, Jordan, when you when you see Kent State kind of hang in there as much as they they did, how much of a tool is that for Kirby to use this week and as this season progresses to to not take any one game or any one moment lightly and make sure that they kind of stay true to that process and continue to be the dominant force that we we've become accustomed here over the past few years yeah I don't think Kirby would ever admit to it but I'd have to imagine him and his coaches were licking their chops with the fact that they have plenty to work on now again they would take one in a game 50 to nothing any time but um, it was a situation and, and Kirby explained this in the post game he was like look even when you guys look at games and you see, you know, say for example that Oregon game, forty-nine to three, you know, he made the point that things still need to be corrected. You know, that was mm-hmm. not a perfect game, even even if it appeared that way. And you know, lessons like this, games like this, where things don't always go Georgia's way. You know, they gave up a couple of big screens, one for about a fifty-six yard touchdown, 
Um, things like that, I think, just makes it a lot easier uh, to get through to players to kind of understand and, and to explain things that need correcting. So, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, on the whole, they're going to use it as a learning experience. But, you know, again, kind of talking about where Georgia is, you can always celebrate those when it still comes with, you know, a, a double-digit win um, in a situation where a lot to learn. But, again, they uh, they get to add another win to the column and, and try to keep the momentum going forward. We're speaking with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, now that you're on the show and on the air, this is your time to give your speech for Brock Bowers for Heisman. Why should he win it? You stole my question. <laughs> he can do a little bit of everything. You know, he's done a very good job of uh, getting touches. Uh, you know, somebody was uh, pitching him as a running back option after. He averaged something like 30.2 yards per carry. Well, he only had two carries. But you know what? That number still looks nice. And hey, it's uh, it's, it's actually 38 and a half. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> so you, can see, you can tell I went to Georgia. My numbers are not <laughs> on the street. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think he can make plays. I think he's going to continue to make plays. And as much as they want guys like A.D. Mitchell uh, you know, to make plays, A.D. being out, and you know, we still don't know if he's going to play Saturday. Uh, it's an opportunity for Brock to reestablish himself as the top receiving target. And I think, you know, I thought that was probably going to happen in, coming into the year. I think it only gets easier with him really standing out as a top option. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to make a lot of plays. I, I'm not quite convinced that he'll be going to New York when we get to December. But truthfully, I feel like Brock probably has a better argument, better case looking ahead than like Stetson Bennett, just because I think Brock has got that unique versatility. And, I mean, he's just doing stuff that you're not seeing other tight ends do right now. Jordan, as we look forward to this week, Georgia's back in conference play. They get Missouri. Do, do we see a bounce-back performance? Do we see another dominant victory out of the uh, Bulldogs this week? I think so. And I think the situation, you know, it almost sets up perfectly, in my opinion, for Georgia. You're coming off. Well, it's something of a sleepwalk. You know, I don't think it was a situation where they overlooked Kent State, but it was just a game where they were a little bit sloppier than people expected. Then on the other side, you got a Missouri team that I, I still can't comprehend that loss to Auburn. I'm sure you guys have talked about it nonstop since it happened. Uh, you know, this is a team that's in real bad shape. I mean, that, even before playing Auburn, had had a pretty mediocre showing against Abilene Christian, and, and before that, taking a really tough loss. To Kansas State, now from the Georgia perspective and looking at this weekend, Missouri may not have Luther Burden, their five-star, who is, you know, expects to do a ton of stuff, uh, banged up after that Auburn game. I think this sets up very well for Georgia. I think that this will be a chance for them to reestablish that, you know, the way they played against Kent State is not going to be the norm, that they are able to, to go down and put up points and, and specifically score touchdowns. That's sort of been a talking point this week, the fact that they had to settle for a few field goals against Kent State. Uh, I would feel very, uh, very poorly about this situation if I was a Missouri fan just because it, it's not looking good even with this game being in Columbia. And Jordan, of course, Georgia – just outmatches and outmans Missouri when it comes to talent right now. But do you expect there to be any sort of hangover for Missouri coming off of the uh, brutal loss at Auburn and how they lost the game to Auburn last week? You know, I think that we're going to learn a lot about this Missouri team and specifically Eli Drinkwitz. You know, based on everything I've heard, a lot of people don't necessarily think 
that his job is going to be on the line. You know, maybe that conversation changed a little bit just with the nature of how last weekend played out. But if you see a team that, you know, is hosting the number one team in the country, again, I'm not expecting them to, to make it close. I think the line's like 28 points. But if they just lay down, you know, that could change the tenor of the rest of, Min- of uh, Missouri's season. So, you know, I think for me, I, I want to see just how this Missouri team responds. Even if they're not going to match Georgia talent-wise, can they put up a fight? Can they generate some plays? Because kind of going back to last week, we know that, you know, this Georgia defense is not perfect. There are mm-hmm. opportunities to make plays. Let's see if Missouri is able to and, and if they're at least able to make it interesting for a half, in my opinion. Jordan, when you look at the quarterback position for, for Georgia, we obviously all know Stetson Bennett is the guy and has been the guy. He's played very well this this year until maybe, I guess, you could make the argument that last week was maybe his worst game of the year. How would you evaluate his play so far this season, and what should we expect moving forward? Yeah, I think on the whole he's done well. He's had a few mistakes along the way. You know, the interception he threw last week, he talked about it post game and said, Kind of a miscommunication between him and his intended receiver. I think the thing that has impressed me the most so far this year is just he has done a very good job of understanding when to use his athleticism. And you've seen that on a few different runs in the red zone for Georgia, uh, specifically between about the 10 and the five yard line. He is just so shifty. He's done a very good job. There's been uh, multiple plays at this point where there's been a defensive end who basically had him dead to rights, and, and he shook the guy and was able to reach the end zone, whether it was just reaching out and getting the ball to the goal line or actually making it in. So I think on the whole, he's played well. I think he's done a very good job of not having very many, uh, what Kirby Smart said before the season, uh, he did he uh, deemed it uh, boneheaded plays, you know, trying to do too much and, and not recognizing, you know, sometimes you just got to eat it and uh, live to fight another day. Uh, there's been a few of those so far this year, I think, about, uh, the touchdown pass he had to Lab McConkey against Oregon, where you know he's kind of scrambling uh, wildly trying to keep a play alive, where you know he probably would have been better off uh, uh, just getting rid of it. But on the whole, I think Stetson's played well. I think the uh, attention he's gotten has been well deserved. But you know, still early in the year, so it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it up as we go forward. We're speaking with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, as you look at the SEC East right now, the top three teams in the East are also top ten teams in the country. Georgia at one, Kentucky at seven, and Tennessee at eight. What does that mean and what does this say about the SEC East where for a long time it's just been Georgia, now there's three teams in the top ten? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I've actually had this conversation with a few other people of, do we feel like the East may be kind of ahead of the West just on the whole? And and I think you can make that argument. And to me, that's a testament to how these other East programs, I mean, it even starts with Georgia when they hired Kirby back in December 2015, just how they've built these programs, who they've turned these programs over to. You know, Mark Stoops at Kentucky, when he stepped in there, Kentucky was in a bad spot after the Joker Phillips era, uh, Josh Heupel. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I know a lot of Tennessee fans growing up in North Georgia, and I don't think there was much expectation when Josh Heupel was hired. You know, it was basically just trying to turn the page from that Jeremy Pruitt era. I don't think it could have gone any better than it has, especially realistically. I mean, Tennessee, to me, is still the biggest threat as far as uh, it goes with Georgia in the East this year. Um, but they've just, these programs have done a very good job 
of understanding what it takes, what they need as far as coaches. And uh, credit to these coaches for the jobs they've done so far and, and the, the, the way they've accumulated talent and getting guys like Hendon Hooker and Will Levis at Kentucky, you know, players that can uh, stand up to the challenge because it's never easy. And uh, the result has been some really good football out of the East. And so, Jordan, as we look at this week and just the SEC East teams, again, Kentucky at 7, Tennessee at 8. Do you expect the SEC East to continue their success, these top teams at least, to continue their success and the chances of Kentucky and Tennessee possibly knocking off Georgia? You know, I still think that Georgia's kind of at a tier above those two, but Mm -hmm. I still think that those are the two that are going to give Georgia the most trouble, if any. You know, again, with Florida – Anytime you go into Jacksonville, I've learned that you never say never. I've seen games where you went down there and thought Georgia was going to run the table, Florida wins, and vice versa, Georgia being big underdogs. I think Florida is headed in the right direction, but to me, uh, the biggest threats are still Tennessee and Kentucky. I do think Georgia does get a big break with Tennessee playing in Athens. You know, If it was in Knoxville, I would be uh, maybe tempted to, to say Tennessee pulls the upset, but Um, Those are the two teams to me, Tennessee and Kentucky, that give Georgia the biggest threat this year. Um, But I still think Georgia's going to wind up beating both of those teams when it's all said and done. Well, Jordan, we appreciate you coming on. As always, Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on On the Line. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing, man. Absolutely. On Twitter, at Jordan Davis Hill or over at Dogs247. And then the website, dogs247.com. So, Getting some stuff wrapped up before we make the trip uh, to Columbia. Going to be an exciting trip and uh, hoping to learn a lot about this Georgia team as it goes on the road for the second time this year. Well, Jordan, have a safe trip to Missouri, and uh, we will talk to you next week, all right? All right. Sounds great, guys. That was Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll take our final break, come back, and wrap up hour number one here on ESPN 106.7. On the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Wrapping up hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. A big thank you to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joining us here on the Wednesday edition of the show, as always, uh, giving us the insight about the Georgia Bulldogs that they continue to roll through this 2022 season as the number one team in the country. They play on the road at Missouri this weekend and should be nothing less than a massacre in Missouri this weekend. So uh, we'll talk to him next week and we'll get his thoughts on that. But it is interesting looking at the SEC East where they do. They have three teams in the top 10 in college football. Yeah, I mean, I think that that you're seeing the emergence of the uh, SEC East for the first time in a long time. I mean, there are capable and competent teams on that side of the conference remains to be seen what Florida is really they have a couple losses to to those top the two of those top three top 10 teams but I mean there really hasn't been anybody there's there's always been that one team in the east and nobody's been able to really challenge it for years Mm -hmm. Uh, and for the last handful of years if not longer it's been Georgia before that, it was Florida for a little bit, and even then, like Florida wasn't even that good. But it's good to see some balance in this conference, where it's not like six top twenty-five teams in the West, and then like one out of the East, 
which is what it feels like it's been in the past. So as it stands right now, top to bottom, is the SEC East better than the SEC West? I don't. Uh, it's close. <laughs> it's it's. I would say I got him. I think I think Alabama, Mississippi State, and Arkansas, and LSU is a stronger top four than Georgia, Kentucky, Florida, and Tennessee. I don't know. It's that's it's, a tough it's question. Pretty even it's pretty even because if you look at it right now, because I mean, it, you can make a strong argument that the SEC East, top to bottom, now we're looking at seven yeah. on each side, top to bottom. That it's better. Now, the SEC I mean, West... Auburn, Auburn might might be the anchor in the West. The SEC West has four ranked teams with Alabama, A&M, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. But the SEC East has three that are in the top ten in the country. Now, you can make the argument if Kentucky and Tennessee are actually top ten teams, but they are ranked in the top ten. And so, But then you got to look at the bottom. I mean, there was what The first college football playoff had three SEC West teams in it. I mean... That's all well and good. Let's see how it plays out over the rest of the year. Because I do think, I do think Kentucky's better than Tennessee. I think the the East has a chance to make a statement this week with with their games with this uh, Kentucky game at Ole Miss. I think that has a chance to be a very very intriguing one, and that's going to be the one that I have my eye on. Because I think if Kentucky wins that, Kentucky might be your fourth best team in the country. Mm-hmm. They might be. Well, that's an interesting question. I'd love to hear from the listeners, too. 334-321-1390 as we wrap up this first hour. Is the SEC East, top to bottom right now as it stands, better than the SEC West? Uh, uh, a, A question that has not been a question for a long, long time because the SEC West, year in and year out, top to bottom, would slaughter the SEC East. I mean, that's just how it has been for so long. But four weeks into this season, uh, again, you're looking at the top of the SEC East. The bottom of it, you do have to look top to bottom. And schools like Missouri and South Carolina and Vanderbilt are at the bottom of the SEC East. But you look at the bottom of the SEC West, it's schools like Mississippi State and Auburn. But record-wise, the West is better. Ranking-wise, maybe not so much. So it really just depends on how you look at it. The worst record in the West right now is 3-1. and one. Well, the, the, the issue in the West is... The team that you're banking on to be the second the second strong team in the West, they're not that good. And that's and that's AM. And I think AM's gonna get exposed in the back half of the stretch when they don't have Aeneas Smith. I know they beat Arkansas. They shouldn't have beat Arkansas. But when they when you go down the back half of the schedule and they have to play LSU and they have to play Arkan or well, they've already played Arkansas, but when they have to play Alabama and Ole Miss and Mississippi State Mississippi State's going to beat them this weekend. And then that's going to be the beginning of the end of this this Texas A&M season. I think for me, top to bottom, the SEC West is better than the SEC East. But the top part of the SEC East is better than the top part of the SEC West. Hour number one officially in the book. Stay tuned. we got a whole lot more coming up in hour number two.
Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. Hour number one officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two officially underway here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of the first hour, be sure to go and find the podcast. Just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast, or you can go to ESPNAU.com, click on the podcast center, and you can find all of it right there. There. We talked to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 in the first hour, uh, talking all things Georgia Bulldogs as they get ready for uh, their matchup against Missouri over the weekend. We talked the future of Brian Harson in the first half. I'm sure we'll get into that some here in the second half. We also had a quick discussion to the end of the hour, talking about the SEC East versus the SEC West and which one is better top to bottom right now. So if you missed any of that, go back and find the podcast. Just search on the line again, wherever you get your podcast. Podcast, but phone lines are open all of hour number two. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. And uh, again, we'd love to hear from you. Anything we're talking about, um, we'd love for you to chime in. And so as we get started in this second hour and making headlines here on Wednesday, September 28th, 2022, uh, Auburn preparing for LSU this weekend and the noise around Brian Harson and his future at Auburn continues to grow. It continues to get louder and from what we have heard and what we have been told and what we hear from everybody looking into this situation, everybody on the outside pretty much seems like they're checked out of this situation and just ready to move on from Brian Harson. And it seems like to this point that the writing is on the wall. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you you definitely the we know where where it's going and it's just a matter of time it's a matter of 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 what happens here over or like how quickly it's a matter of when not if yeah and i think a lot of people have or i guess not a lot of people but some people have have brought up the argument of well what if brian harson and auburn make it happen where they happen to beat lsu and they happen to beat the mitts i know i know but i'm saying if they happen to do it right if they were to win some of these games where we don't think they're going to what if auburn does get to eight wins somehow then what do you do you well f- before we entertain that you gotta tell me how that happened i agree i don't think it happens either i'm just saying i mean if, if it does if he gets it would be the if- most auburn thing ever for you to get ready to fire your coach and then he goes out and wins eight or nine games i mean that's just what auburn does if he gets to eight wins congrats he'll keep his job but it ain't happening i don't think he keeps it at eight wins anymore i i think there's a snare well i mean if you get embarrassed by georgia and alabama and maybe LSU, your three biggest rivals, and then you win all the other ones, then yeah, he won't keep his job at eight and four. But I like there's not a path to eight and four. That's and that's what I keep coming back to because when you look around the the schedule, there's one team that you're more talented than left, and that's Western Kentucky. And you know they're gonna score points, and I still don't know where Auburn's gonna score points this season. I mean 
Auburn Auburn couldn't run, and I, I'm going to come back to it. Auburn couldn't run the ball against Missouri, who has a very very soft defensive front. That's about the that's going to be the worst front they see in conference play, and conference play is one game in. So tell me where Auburn's going to run because Auburn's going to have to run the football to win games, and I don't know that. The coaching staff is creative enough with the game plan, and I don't know that the offensive line is good enough for Auburn to run the ball on anybody the rest of the year. Yeah, I agree. I'm not saying that it that Auburn's going to win eight games, but I'm saying uh, I'm just entertaining the fact that it is still possible. I mean, Auburn is three and one, right? So it's still in front of them. Now we know what we've seen, and we know the talent on the team, and we know the play calling and the scheme and everything like that. We understand all of that, and I get that that is all that's all fine and dandy, right? But I'm just trying to entertain the fact of if it does happen, then what do you do? Because to this point, it's been pretty ugly, right? It's been ugly, and this experiment has not gone well and not gone to what we thought it was going to be with Brian Harson. And, and there's a great chance that if he lost on Saturday to Missouri, they would have fired him already. Yeah, I mean, we I, I think we know that that was going to be the case. Basically, I mean, I don't I don't think there was a path to be the head coach this week if you because you're you're going to sell sell your team, sell recruits, sell the fan base on a fourth and one mentality and being tough and physical and disciplined, and you were going to go out there and lose to the softest SEC team in the conference. You almost did. You survived by the skin of your teeth and by pure luck and happenstance. I mean, I like at all the PR that that this staff has done about what they're going to be as far as a program and a team. None of it, not a single thing, has been real. Not a single part of it has held up. And I think that's why a lot of fans are sort of like, where where is all of that, right? I think that's where a lot of people are 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 starting to worry and get confused. Is well, where is where is that hard nosed mentality? Where is all of this I stuff? Saw because it last year, last year at Penn State, I know Auburn lost the game, but I but when Auburn went up to Penn State and competed, and they were physical in that game, I said this is something Auburn can build on, and I said. I said about it. A Gus Malzahn team goes on the road to Penn State and loses by two, three scores. Mm-hmm. But I think but, you say you could saw you saw it in the Iron Bowl last year. Yeah, and 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 you saw it until second half of of Mississippi State, mm-hmm. and then you lost it for a while, and then it came back for the Iron Bowl. But you haven't seen an ounce of it this season. And and. It, and that's again that's the question is why and where is that at and why why has it just been so different through these four games I think that's where a lot of people are drawing concern and Brian Harson doesn't have the answers I mean he can't give us the answers we're not seeing it on the field his message was watch us we've and seen yet, zero creativity from him exactly. and, the, and the offensive coaching exactly. staff this so year. that's what I'm saying so I think that's why it, the writing is on the wall and again I don't think there is I don't think Auburn wins many more games with Brian Harson with what they're doing right now again could they change some things and try to figure some stuff out yeah sure absolutely and am I saying they're gonna lose out this year no I'm not saying that either but 
Either something something has got to change, whether it's a complete different scheme, game plan, what what have you, or a change at the head coach position and try to go after somebody else and start planning for next year. Something has got to change, and I think it's going to in the next couple of weeks. Look, I just think I think this this um, season has exposed this coaching staff. They are not what they thought they were. They thought they could come in and coach up a roster of whatever. It didn't matter what talent level they had. They could coach them up to to wins in the SEC. You can't. You have to go recruit, and you continue to see stories. They aren't doing the work there. You continue to see the product deteriorate on the field. The fact that against Auburn's last power seven Power Five opponents, you've been outscored in the second half, a hundred and sixteen to twenty-one. That is nothing but an indictment on the coaching staff and its ability to adjust in game. They don't have it. Other teams are do- are doing that. And that's something- Other teams are figuring out a way to adjust to what Auburn is doing. Mm-hmm. That's why you score two touchdowns on your first two drives against Missouri, and then you look like you've never played offense again for the last three and a half quarters. Yeah, and that's something too that we've seen where we just haven't seen a whole lot of adjustments. And again, that's where you you did you ask Brian Harson, and it's like. Why are these adjustments not being made? Why are we not changing some things in-game, during halftime, during breaks, whatever it may be? Because, sure, Auburn's done some things that are successful, but then when the other team has adjusted for it, Auburn's not adjusting for that adjustment. Like that's that's how football works. That's how sports work. Like when when you do something well, you do it until the other team adjusts for it. And if they don't adjust for it, then you you just cram it mm-hmm. down their throat. But when the other team adjusts for that, you have got to adjust yourself also to do something a little bit different. And we just that is just one of the many things that we have and have not seen from Auburn and Brian Harson. But we're going to see Saturday again. We're going to get into this a whole lot more over the next couple of days as Auburn gets ready for LSU. But as we get into some more headlines, talking a little baseball, because the Braves last night, the Braves win, the Mets lose. You know what that means. They're, they're a even. game back now. I no, think it's, they're, no they're, they're dead even. Is it dead even? It's dead even. Oh, I guess I looked at it like, well, it's dead even then. How about that? And what's big this weekend is, of course, the Braves are playing the Mets, but with Hurricane Ian coming through, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do for this series because Atlanta's probably going to get a little wet this weekend. And so they're going to try and figure out. I, I think the MLB is discussing what they're going to do with this. I don't know if they've made a decision on it yet. I don't think so. God, that would be so brutal for the Braves. The biggest series of the year. And if they have to move it because of weather, get moved or get like I mentioned Obviously. yesterday, a doubleheader or something like that. I just I don't want that to happen. By the way, here's a fun stat for you: the Mets in September at home. What is their record right now? In September, the Mets in September at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've they've got a losing Wait, actually, record. Actually, it's against in September at home against the Marlins, Cubs, and Nationals. Three awful teams. A losing what's, a losing record. record. I don't know what it is, but it's a losing record. One and six. Woo, man. One and six. Man, that is rough. And that's so good for the Braves because, like you said now, they're even. Both teams sit at 97 wins, 58 losses. The Braves have a couple. They have uh, one more game against the Nationals before they play New York in Atlanta. And so far... The series is still in Atlanta, but again, with the weather and the hurricane coming through Florida, it's making landfall. We're, we're watching it right now. Uh, 
I don't know what they're going to do. You All you can do for the Braves' sake is hope that the weather is not as bad as they think it's going to be once it gets there. Um, like you said, though, the biggest series of the year, and if you had to move it or make doubleheaders or change things around, I mean, this series literally is going to determine who wins the National League East. We've already seen a couple of teams declare and win their divisions. The Yankees and the Cardinals both did it last night. The Braves are trying to do it over the weekend against the Mets, and it's up in the air right now. I mean, I'm starting to feel pretty good. I didn't feel good for the last week and a half, and I said as much, but... I mean, the Mets find keep finding ways to to draw the Braves back into this and keep pulling the Braves. As much as the Braves are chewing up ground on the Mets, the Mets are pulling the Braves up with them. And now they're they're sitting there looking at each other eye to eye with what one game to play before this big series. I mean, mm-hmm. if the Braves take care of business, just continue to put that pressure on the Mets. And what do the Mets do? I I th- I thank the Mets. Starting to feel the pressure. They've held the lead since what? The first week of the season, basically. They've had the they've had the lead for a long time. <laughs> and, and and looking at the series this weekend, the pitching matchups, they released it a, a few days ago on Friday. If the series stands as it is right now, no weather affects it or anything like that. On Friday, it'll be freed for the Braves and Bassett for the Mets. It'll be right on Saturday for the Braves and DeGrom for the Mets. And then on Sunday, it'll be Charlie Morton and Max Scherzer going at it in the Sunday game. And reminder, you can catch all all three of those games here on ESPN 106.7 on the radio broadcast from ESPN. You can catch all of them Friday, Saturday, Sunday for your Atlanta Braves. Uh, that's just part of a jam-packed sports weekend we've got here on the station. But those are huge pitching matchups for the Braves. And I, I've seen some people come out and say, imagine having a series that determines your season and you have Charlie Morton to throw out there. I didn't really like the disrespect to Charlie Morton. I think he's a great pitcher. Charlie Morton's been a very, very solid and cap- capable pitcher. I mean, what? He has a Cy Young, doesn't he? Did, didn't he win a Cy Young with the Rays? That I don't know. You'd have to you'd have to fact check that. I'm not I'm not saying it wrong. I actually don't know. But uh he's a good pitcher. I think he's look, he's nine and six this year. He's got a four two ERA. Yeah, it's not great, but he's got over he's got two hundred strikeouts this year. I mean He did not win a Cy Young with the Rays, but he was all MLB second team that year. Okay. Well, I mean, still, but he's got two hundred strikeouts this year. I mean, the guy is a good pitcher. Now he's going up against Scherzer, who may be one of the best pitchers to to play the game he is one of the best pitchers to play the game but by the way i watched he finished third in the cy young in 19 but uh i i watched the nolan ryan netflix doc last night oh yeah unbelievable really awesome okay phenomenal interesting by the way so nolan ryan played 27 seasons that's stupid how many cy youngs he has 5714 strikeouts he has over a thousand more than second place he has seven no hitters, and That's ridiculous. how many Cy Youngs do you think Nolan Ryan won? Oh, I w- I wouldn't even know what to guess. I I don't know. Give me a number. I don't know. <laughs> I literally I don't know. The answer is somehow zero. He has he literally led the he. It's astounding. He has one of the best ERAs ever. He has more strikeouts than anybody by a mile. He got better as he went older. He actually struck out more batters per nine from the age 39 to 46 than he did in the previous set of seven years to start his career and the middle seven years and or seven, eight years in the middle as well. Like he is 
potentially the greatest pitcher of all time, and he did not win a single Cy Young. What are we doing? Was that one long documentary? Was it like a episode broken up? How was that? It was about an hour 40. Okay. Interesting. It's really so, good. Uh, I need to watch that. Have you watched the Manti Teo one yet? I have. What'd you think? It was really, really uh, good. It changed my perspective on Manti Teo. I think it's... Um, that situation was crazy. And there's a I lot more to it like, than I thought. To me, here's my stance. He clearly did not want to go to Notre Dame. He deemed that there was a sign from God because he prayed to God, and then the next person that talked to him was like, I thought you'd go to Notre Dame over USC. And oh, he, he 100% wanted there. to go to USC. He was homesick. He wanted something to remind him of home, and that's how he fell into this super screwed-up situation, and I hate it for him, and it changed my perspective. And that cost him millions of dollars, not only in where he was drafted, but his ability to be a leader in the locker room, mm-hmm. his ability... He would still be in the NFL if this didn't happen. And he talks about how it shattered his confidence. He just was unsure. Oh, yeah. And yeah. For, for the first few years in the NFL, like, Matai Teo, his life was drastically altered. He's still going to live a great life. But it cost him tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars and potentially of, like, pro bowl, multi, multi-pro bowl type of NFL career. That was such a such a crazy uh, sequence of events and such a crazy time in sports when when all that was going on with Manti Teo. If you have not watched the documentary yet on Netflix, I highly recommend it because it will change your perspective. It will on Manti one hundred percent. There's so much more behind this than people even thought, and it, it's really really good. So I recommend you watch it. But we got to get to our first break in this second hour. When we come back, we'll head to the phone lines here on the Wednesday edition of On the line you are on the line on espn 1067 call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 let's head to the phone lines here on the wednesday edition of on the line 334-321-1390 steve you're on the line thanks for holding through the break man how are you i'm good i, I watched the facing ryan uh Doc last night myself, and some of those statistics are unbelievable. I mean, uh, crazy. And I, in '73, when he didn't win the Cy Young, he had 383 strikeouts to Jim Palmer's 151. Yeah. Palmer and him both won 21 games, and their ERAs were the same. I guess you would still call that East Coast bias back in '73. I think the Orioles were much better than the Angels. But the most amazing stat that I did not know, and I'm kind of a baseball number guy, in '87 when the Astros, he went. Eight and sixteen, and led the National League in strikeouts and ERA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the month of in the month of August, he was zero and five with five complete games, and the Astros scored seven runs for him in those five games. Wow! Yeah, and, I mean, it was uh, my 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 favorite moment was that um, the the last no hitter he throws where he he's warming up and his back is so just messed up where he's he's like. Yeah. He 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 tells Bobby Valentine and and Tom House the uh, pitching coach, this is it. Like this is this could be the last performance of his career. Go then he goes out there first inning, kind of loosens up a little bit, gets in a flow, and he comes back to the dugout. And he just says, "Boys, get me one, get me one, and it's yeah. over." I love yeah, that. He's done, he's done like seventy eight in the bullpen. He throws ninety six in the first inning, then he's forty five or forty six. I mean, I, I've, I've 
I've always thought that Ryan was overrated because he's a 500 pitcher in his career, a little over 500. Had one World Series, and but you know he has 52 major league records. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, and I know with 27 years of pitching, that's amazing. But just the respect, and I did not, I did not realize that that Al Kaline, a table leg of out of the bat. I'd not, I'd never seen that film before. That. Might be the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was a f- when it, hilarious. Uh, what was it? What was it? No hit number four, I guess, to beat Kofax or five to beat Kofax. Kaline took a table leg off a table out of the uh, out of the locker room and came up. And Ron Luciano was the umpire, which is classic. Y'all might not remember him, but he was uh, a classic piece of work. And they uh, they they just started dying. Norm Cash, excuse me, it was Norm Cash, and made him go back and get a bat. I mean. Yeah, if you've got if you're a baseball guy and you got an hour and a half to watch, that's fine. So, but one other thing, real quick, y'all were talking about Auburn and and yeah, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But I want to point out one thing. You got one of our biggest rivals that right now has three starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Our other biggest rivals quarterback just won the Super Bowl last year. We have no quarterbacks in the NFL other than it's, uh, a backup and the Las Vegas Raiders. And until we get somebody who can bring in quarterbacks and develop quarterbacks, we've had two quality quarterbacks. And I'm not counting Nick Marshall because he's one of my favorite players. I'm talking about going to be NFL caliber quarterbacks. And Nick was a great college quarterback, just like Tommy Frazier was a great college quarterback, but was never going to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Until we get somebody that can bring in a quarterback that makes offense look easy. It's bad enough that we're bad. But well, we can't even do the easy things. We we just look. Everything looks so hard. I mean, yeah. it's just a you know, you go three wide and you run two run out, you run two, you run two runoffs and you run a ten a six yard out and the ball is high or low or the guy's got to duck a duck. It just nothing looks easy. It all just looks complicated. You're right. Well, I mean, just even execution wise, I mean, everybody just it just doesn't look. And, and, and the game has changed. The running back has been devalued. A lot of other positions have been devalued. It is a quarterback game. And whoever the man is that can get multiple quarterbacks to come to Auburn and can say to them, you play here for a couple of years and you're playing the NFL, is the only way we're going to turn this around. Yeah, you're right. It, it's, a, it's a quarterback game now. I mean, look around the conference. Look around the game of college football. It is a quarterback game. And if you don't have a good quarterback, you're not going to win football games. Well, I think I think yeah. what when you look at the past two coaching staffs, for different reasons, it, it hasn't panned out at the quarterback position. I don't think any, any legitimate high-level quarterbacks wanted to come really play for Gus Malzahn's system because – you didn't prepare them for the NFL in any fashion. And then I don't think that there was good quarterback coaching on that staff. I mean, you, you hear stories about about Bo Nix missing deep balls, and then he, all he's told is, you you got to put that ball on him. And that's and that's the yeah. coaching tip. And then you you see Harson Harson just can't get the talent in the door. And he was supposed to be your quarterback developer, your guy that that started creating some high-level quarterbacks here at, at Auburn. But... What we've seen right now is one, he doesn't get the talent in the door. The game plans are bad, and I just I don't think he's developing guys the way that we thought he was going to. Well, and you've got to have some talent to develop. And I, I mean, I, you know, God bless Robbie Ashford. He's he's a heck of an athlete. He probably should be playing wide receiver somewhere. And he's got a very long motion, which is really hard to run any of what Harson's pocket basking offense is supposed to be, uh, just because you know, SEC defensive backs can. 
can get to that can get in that window in the time it takes him to, to to load up and throw it. It's great for a shortstop, but it's not great for a quarterback. And, yep. And and I'm sorry, I just don't know if TJ has got the it factor. He's a, mm-hmm. probably a very nice kid. You know, he's just never shown me that he can step on the field and, and play that position. I think Holden's probably got a lot of potential, but you put him out there behind the line. I mean, I mean, if I was his dad, I'd tell him to go play an I eighty five on Saturdays. He did not he did not look comfortable at all on Saturday in his snaps that he took. Well then even bad I mean they roll him left. I mean the kid didn't even get a chance to, to, to warm up. He had thrown in for an injury and they take him from the the, the, the boundary side to the field with a twelve yard roll with a I, you know, I, I guess they're trying to get him away. It's just I don't know. Right. I mean, they've forgotten more football than I know. But until you get somebody who can talk to quarterbacks and get them to come in and we can prove to them that we're going to play a pro-style offense that's going to prepare you for the league. You're going to understand how to check. You're going to understand how to read defenses. You're going to be able to do these different things. We're not going to be able to keep up with Georgia now. Right. You're, you're 100% right. Steve, we're up against the break, man. I apologize. We appreciate the call. We'll address that when we come back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Hated to cut off Steve, but we were up against a break. But to address sort of what he was talking about, and you can call in as well, 334-321-1390. By the way, y'all convince me I'm going to probably go home and watch the uh, it's really the documentary good. on Netflix it's now. It's really good. Yeah, you've convinced me. And they me. have so many big name people in being interviewed, like Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, oh, okay. Pete wow. Rose, okay, cool. Dave cool. Winfield. Field, uh, Bobby Valentine, George W. Bush. Oh, okay. and all like it's 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 re- it's a really really cool doc. Yeah, you guys have convinced me. I'm probably going to go home and watch it. But when he was talking about Auburn a little bit, he was talking about hiring a, a coach that can bring in a quarterback that can compete in the SEC because he's a hundred percent right that this is a quarterback game now. I mean, look at what these successful teams in college football have sure they have good receivers and good backs and all that but they've got Heisman contending quarterbacks I mean that's just what the game is uh, and you could say that it's sort of always been a quarterback game and you should always have a good quarterback but look at the Alabama teams that were winning back in the mid-2000s like 2000 you know in in some of their other years with A.J. McCarron or those types or Greg McElroy those types of quarterbacks those guys were good but they weren't great quarterbacks. They were smart and knew how to run the offense and play the game. That's just, that's a fact. But now you look at quarterbacks who you've got Bryce Young, who at Alabama is a freak, and he won the Heisman Trophy last year. So it is a quarterback game now. And so what Steve was talking about was Auburn's got to bring in some quarterbacks like that who Mm -hmm. can come in and can win ballgames by themselves. And... He's, he was talking about a true quarterback, but that takes a true offensive system that can support them, and Auburn doesn't have that right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, Auburn is farther away from an identity on offense today than they were, what, game one, game two, even game three? I mean, 
There is no clear identity. They don't. The system is bad. The game planning is bad. The offensive line is bad. They can't run the ball because of that. The quarterback play is bad. I mean, there's like the system has failed on offense, and it's the and that's the the true crux of the issue here because the defense is good enough to win games, but it's got to have something from the offense, and the offense is. As bad as I've seen it in a long time. With the defense, though, I think they're good enough to keep you in the game. I don't know if they're good enough to win you the game. I'm, I'm not saying they go out and win the game. I'm saying they're good enough to win games. I agree. Yeah, That's I agree. Okay. It's not, yeah, I'm, okay, I'm okay. not saying win the game. They're good you. enough to win yeah. games. Yeah. But they have to have something. got to have some support. Help. Yeah, you got to have some support. Like that, that 19 defense... That that defense could go win you games. Yes, yes, now, they could. This this defense can't go win you games, but it can go win games. Mm-hmm. And then there's a it's a, it's a very small language difference <laughs> there, but it tells you everything about this team. That I think this team is a very much more watered down, worse version of the nineteen team because the defense is the strength, and the defense is good enough to compete. And good enough to win games, but the offense is way worse than 19. And the 19 offense was bad. And again, something that I've continued to bring up is how do you fix that, right? Instead of us sitting here, because we could do this all day, and I think Auburn fans can agree, it's how do you fix it? Well, I'm going to tell you how you fix it. You get the ball out in space. We saw it early against Missouri. Get the ball (laughs) to your playmakers in space early. To where the offensive line woes can't hurt you as bad. You didn't do that throwing the ball. It was Robbie runs around in circles and then picks up seven yards. Well, you know what? Do that if that's what it takes. <laughs> but drop back and that's jump fair. it off to Tank. Dump but, it off to Jarquez. Throw screens. I hate screen passes, but if that's what it's going to take for Auburn to actually move the football and score some points, then do that. And if you're Auburn, you've got to realize that right now, let's take this game against LSU on Saturday. If you try to line up man for man and run in between the tackles, Tank's going to have 15 carries for 25 yards and no touchdowns, and Auburn's not going to score. If you try to do that, that's going to be the stat line. You've got to find ways to use your athletes and your skill players on offense because you do have them. You you have guys on offense. You've got to find different ways to use them. It's... It's coaching malpractice what has happened to Tank Bigsby in his career. Between what Gus Malzahn did and not recruiting the offensive line and then Harson's ability to continue to not recruit the offensive line, the fact we, like, Tank Bigsby should be a guy with the talent level he has where he is in the, the discussion for a Heisman Trophy. And he's, he's not going to be an honorable mention all-SEC player because the offensive line is that bad, and it's deteriorated to this point, and I and I, I hate it for him because I know he loves Auburn. I know he does, and it's and he it's, wouldn't have come back if he didn't. And and I think that that's something that we kind of take for granted with with Tank. I don't think we all for a while realized how much Tank loves Auburn and wants to be at Auburn, and how he wants Auburn to be great, and. The fact that we've we've gotten to a point where you have two all SEC caliber backs, one of which should be an All American caliber back, and they there's no room for them to run is is 
a crying shame that we've gotten to this point. And again, that's why I bring up you've got to you they're too good to not get the football. Whether you're turning around and handing it to them in their chest or not, that's one thing. But there are other ways to get them the football and figure out ways to get them involved in the offense. I mean, you can't just lay down and die and say, well, We've got a great running back, but our offensive line is not performing like they thought they would. Um, I guess we just we're just not going to give the ball to Tank Bigsby. You can't do that. You've got to figure out a way. You're there's too many good players on offense. Auburn has skill on the offensive side of the football. They've got good running backs. They have good receivers. You have got to find ways, one way or the other. I don't care if you throw the football backwards and let Tank throw it to Jarquez. I mean, do some crazy stuff. I don't care what you do. Get these guys the football one way or the other. If it's if it's put Robbie Ashford in the shotgun and him turn and immediately throw it to Tank Bigsby or Jarquez Hunter on a screen pass, then do it. Get the ball to Coy Moore, who's a fantastic wide receiver who's not getting the football like he should. You've got to find ways to do it. Get out in space. Quick, easy passes, something we've talked about with Robbie, something we even talked about with TJ Finley, just getting the ball out quickly because until the offensive line can hold their own which we don't know if that's going to happen this season or not you would like to think they get better as the year goes on Mm -hmm. but we'll find out but until that happens uh, again I've said this before and I'll say it again you've got to adjust with your talent level and the players on your team you have got to adjust based off of that there are ways to get your best players the football Auburn is just not doing it yeah it's but I don't think I think you've seen when you when you watch this this staff to this point there seems to be a lack of creativity to figure out ways to get the playmakers the ball in space and i and i don't think i mean personally i don't think that's going to change right now i don't see where that's going to change and it's and it's frustrating and um i think it's it's been this season has been the biggest indictment on a coaching staff i've seen at auburn in my lifetime and what's confusing to me is when you look at this coaching staff there's a lot of good names on there and I think there's a lot of good coaches on I think there's a there's a some solid very strong uh position coaches on this staff but you got the man at the top you got his two coordinators and those three right now they are failing if we were grading them like it would like this was school they are healthy Fs right now this year. It is not good. But they're, they're getting circles coached around them in every game right now. And and it's a if we thought it was bad to this point, schedule only gets tougher from here on out. It only gets tougher. That's exactly right. But and I just go back to, I mean, I think they're good coaches. I really do truly believe that. I think they're good coaches. I think they're good coordinators. I think they're good all the way around. They are. I just, You just get confused where if we are able to sit here and talk about it, and, and, and not just us, Auburn fans and other, other shows and other media, if we're all able to sit here and say, these are the issues, this is how we would fix it, Aren't they having these same conversations? And I get it. It's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier for us to sit here in the studio and say that versus actually making the adjustments and making it happen on the field in the SEC. I get that. But there's got to be a way. You cannot just lay down and die. There are are ways to be better with the game plan. but, But the critical issue is something that had to have been fixed in February, in March, in April, 
in recruiting, mm-hmm. and you didn't address it. You didn't try to address it. It felt like felt like every every offensive lineman that hit the portal and, and every Auburn fan was like, please figure out a way to get him on campus. It didn't happen. You didn't land a single transfer offensive lineman. And that's the story here. The story is you can only do so much with a bad offensive line. I do think the game plans are bad. I do think the ability to, to adjust is bad. But you don't have the you don't have the the dogs up front. You don't have the you don't have the Jimmys and the Joes. Yeah. That's you're a getting, good that's a good way to put you're it. You're getting out you're getting out athleted in the trenches because you're not you're not talented enough. You don't have enough depth. You you can't stay healthy. You can't you can't you have guys committing dumb penalties in big spots. Like everything comes back to the trenches. And right now Auburn's not good enough there. I I think it's a really good point you bring up that a lot of these problems should have already been fixed before the season started. I think that's a great way to put it because it's true. A lot of these things could have been you, fixed if you, you can go only, get you can a couple only of do dudes. so much when you're that inferior on on the in the trenches on the offensive line yeah and then you you have a couple injuries at center and now it's even worse which does exactly which doesn't help your case at all now that you're on your third string center uh which uh, i mean you just can't even you can't plan for that and so that's just kind of fuel to the fire let's head to uh the phone lines before we get to break 334-321-1390 rick you're on the line welcome in hey guys how you doing today doing great right. man what you got well, I got an opinion, <laughs> and uh, don't we all? Maybe possible solution, but um, you know, I mean, we're, our our offense is offensive, and our problems have problems. I mean, we have issues so bad. <laughs> I, what, what I think we need to do is just you know suck up the fact we're gonna we're gonna be like Vandy for a couple of years, so we get someone in there to recruit. But it, it, this kind of reminds me of Coverville back. I can't remember what year it was, maybe about seven or eight. But the previous year, we'd had what was ranked, I think, the number one offensive line recruiting class in the country. And we reached a point where we were mathematically eliminated from doing anything good. And Coverville said, you know, screw it, play these guys, get them good. And, you know, there were struggles, but we won the 2010 championship with those guys on the line. So what I think we need to do is go and buy, you know, now that we can, some high school guys that are good and tell them you will start when you will come here. Mm-hmm. And we need to do that for a couple of years and we need to suck it up and that will start it rolling again. But we need the right coach in place to do it. We don't have that right now. So I will hang up listen what you guys think of that, but that's what I think for you. Yeah, we appreciate the call, Rick. Um, you know, that that is something we've discussed and I know something that you've brought up quite a bit is going out and telling these guys, look, Right now, we all know this. It's tough to recruit offensive linemen to Auburn with what Alabama and Georgia are doing with offensive linemen development-wise and sending them to the pros. We get that. But the one thing Auburn can guarantee is playing time. That is one thing Auburn can guarantee. They're getting better with NIL. And so that's sort of what Rick is talking about or was talking about is go out and pay some of these guys with some NIL stuff. (laughs) And and, and, Because you can say that now. Go and get some of these guys. Give them some NIL money and say, you are going to be a starter here. And if you trust us and trust in this staff, whoever it's going to be in three to four years, we think we can do some big things. And that is a good way to look at it. But 
you've got to get the guys in here who yep. can actually make that promise and fulfill that promise. Yeah, I don't think you have the coach that can go sell that vision right now. He hasn't done it. You see the stories about their coaches in the state of Alabama that have never met Brian Harson. High school coaches. Yeah, and that's and that's bad. That's that's pretty that's pretty um damaging to this program. And then when you um but but it, I don't agree that you're just going to be Vanderbilt for a couple years because we've seen there is a roadmap to getting back faster now in the age of the transfer portal. The fact that you couldn't sell transfers on, hey, literally, you're going to walk in and start is god-awful because, look, that's what is a lot of these transfers are looking for. They're looking for somewhere to tell them, hey, you come here, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you're going to start and... I mean, you see it all over the place. And and the fact that you weren't able to go get anybody is awful. And I think you get the right person in here. They can turn over the roster through the transfer portal, through recruiting. You can get back plenty fast. I'm not worried about how the, the timeline to get back. I do think there needs to be a little bit of patience. And I think with it's going to be as bad as it's been in a long time. I think Auburn fans will be willing to give that patience. And that's what I'm looking forward to. But you can get back. And you can sell playing time. You just got to have the right guy to do it. Right now, Brian Harson is not that. You got to have the guy that can make the promise and fulfill the promise. I think that's the that's the message here. And right now, it just doesn't seem that that's the case with Auburn. Let's take our final break here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll come back and wrap it up before the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck from four to six. That's all coming up here on ESPN one hundred six seven. You are on the line. On ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you for the next few minutes. Make sure you stay tuned from 4 to 6. It'll be the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck from 4 to 6 right here on ESPN 106.7. You do not want to miss that. But if you missed any of today's show, be sure to find the podcast. Just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast or you can go to ESPNAU.com, click on the podcast center, and you can find it all right there. Also, make sure you're entering in the ESPN SEC football challenge that will close Friday night at midnight for the games on Saturday. Uh, it's week five now, so you can enter that and try to win some great prizes from our sponsors uh, the Orthopedic Clinic, Buffalo Rock Pepsi, Johnny Brusco's, and Wickles Pickles. Uh, so you can try and win that. And then, of course, the winner at the end of the season, you get that free 50 inch 4K Ultra HD Smart TV. So that can you can still enter for that. You can still get in on the fun on the ESPN. SEC football challenge at ESPNAU.com. Carter, you got something before we get out of here? Well, I just want to talk about a name that you mentioned in passing earlier who has decided to make comments on on a another show. S- Slow News Day by the uh, Ringer with Kevin Clark, who I, which I think is a great, a great little YouTube show. Mm-hmm. A- he had A.J. McCarron on. Saw that, yeah. <laughs> AJ McCarron said, according to his sources at Auburn, which one? I'm sure he has hilarious. so many sources at that's Auburn. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, he said that Brian Harson was informed after the Penn State game that he would be done at the end of the year at the latest. That's not the first time I've heard that statement, though. Whatever. I, there, I mean, I don't, I don't believe that to be true. I don't think there's any 
I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying I've heard that before. There is no positive to telling Brian Harson after the Penn State game that he's done at the end of the year because then you have literally no mo- – like there's no incentive for him to recruit at all. But beyond that, you also have him saying that Auburn is a bottom-tier SEC program, which is laugh-out-loud funny to me. Um, and that f- certainly feels sour grapes for a guy who had his engagement plans um, – ruined by the kick six because that was that was the uh story was he was going to propose to his now wife on auburn's field after beating auburn in 2013 and the kick six ruined that that's why they had the grandparents and his now wife pulled down from the stands in the corner on the sidelines but um and then also he goes into talking about the auburn athletic department and i just was listening to him and i was like man this guy for whatever sources he does have, he exposed himself for literally knowing nothing about Auburn because his statements were dumb, they're stupid, and there's not a there's a not a less qualified person to talk about Auburn than AJ McCarron. I just want the Auburn fan base to not even worry about it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's not the first time that I've heard that that possibly Brian Harson was alerted after the Penn State game or has already been told that he's not coming believe, back. I don't believe that that's the case. I don't. I don't think that has happened. I don't know. I mean, no, none of us really know. But I, I'm with you. I don't truly see what the benefit of that would be. But regardless, I think everybody can agree that uh, his job is, and no pun intended here, is on the line and. I mean, it, it may already be written on the wall. Have they told him yet? I don't know. I doubt they it. They haven't but, told him. But it's but definitely, knows. the writing is on the wall. I think he knows. So at that point, I mean, I, I don't know. But again, that's not the first time I've heard that. So, But I just think that, that it's a total clown show for AJ McCarron to go on a show and try to talk like he knows anything well, about like, what's going on. Like all. one of our callers said earlier, he called in and said he had an opinion. Everybody's got one. Now, whether you're right or not, that's... Yeah, but, that's when, bound but, to be but determined. when you start throwing around the quote sources, that's different than opinion. I agree. I agree. That's all we got here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Come back tomorrow. We're going to heavily preview Auburn LSU and some of the big games from around college football. You do not want to miss it. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.